Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we... On this episode is Top Fuel Crew Chief Rob Flynn as well as Pro Stock star Erica Enders. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. We're going to talk Bristol, we're going to talk Norwalk, and we're going to look forward to the NHRA Western Swing. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Cruz Pentagon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here. We are back with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast after uh, a great race in Norwalk, Ohio. Boy, what a weekend we had. Um, really kind of on all levels you had the weather that was uh, manic to say the least Friday night was cool and fast obviously Brittany resetting the track record on both ends in top fuel uh, saw some very quick runs made in pro stock and go right down the line Stevie fast and pro modified grabbing that number one spot and then we get into Saturday and you know it got hot and uh, got interesting uh, we didn't see those big numbers again as people were just trying to negotiate the racetrack and then we get into Sunday and we had uh kind of an interesting day where we had some cloud cover it was still warm then all of a sudden we had a rain uh you know problem come in in the afternoon which threw us for a bit of a loop on our fox show but uh you know the final round he ran really in in the same conditions all day long and then you come back up for this final and have to make some significant uh changes to your approach and um racers that did that successfully um were re- rewarded for it and we're going to talk to rob flint today who was the crew chief for mike salinas obviously and this is a guy who's just been um on the stick this year and i want to talk to him about everything that's been going on with the team uh their preparation certainly how they are uh, making the outlook for the rest of the season but it is um it's a great story and it's one that i can't wait to get into with uh with rob flint mentioned erica ender's name um you know it's looking more and more that the only thing that uh, can stop erica at this point is what stopped her in bristol when the engine failed in her race car it's just uh it's just in a very very amazing thing to watch and we're going to talk to her about the season so far kind of what her um not her outlook but really kind of what what's been going on in terms of um her success and and if she can pinpoint it on anything i mean we can we can say all we want about horsepower and this that the other thing but at the end of the day most of those pro stock cars are pretty tightly grouped when it comes to the power you know quotient it's not like it was 30 years ago where somebody would make discoveries in their dyno and have a, a 5 10 15 horse advantage over people for a short time this is this is a much different game than that and it really is a a game of a very minute tuning and clearly um and driving of course and so that's what really what i want to get into with erica i think uh you know when we look across uh, the nhra categories in ohio especially when we say mentioned pro modified a few minutes ago chris thorne um is having a season that deserves more attention than it's got to be very honest they've won all but one of the races so far this year in the pro mod class and this coming from um a guy who I was actually present when Chris Thorne got his pro modified license a few years back at Bradenton, Florida, uh, during a wintertime race. And he had a, a C7 style Corvette at the time. I think it was actually Troy Coughlin's uh, previous car. Anyway, he licenses down there and uh, he'd been running some eighth mile stuff and running some PDRA stuff. And um, many of you may remember the, the very bad crash he had at the U.S. Nationals a few years back. We didn't see him for a little while. And uh, when he kind of popped back up this year, 
and it was kind of neat. And then all of a sudden they go out there and win Gainesville and it became a lot neater and they really have not stopped winning since. So make sure you're paying attention to the fuel tech NHRA pro modified series you know, presented by D wagon. They have coming up in Brainerd, Minnesota. They have a $25,000 to win uh, shootout that will be happening on the Saturday of the NHRA Lucas oil nationals. And that's going to be, um, another kind of neat element to highlight our great pro modified contenders and competitors uh, a class that is that is back on the rise i think when we look at car counts and the participants in that category uh it's great to see names like jason scruggs back out again and others that came to compete in norwalk when we talk about pro stock motorcycle angel you know had a rebound of course uh, she had that crushing final round loss to jerry savoie on a red light in bristol and she gathered herself back up again, got back on the motorcycle a week later and took care of business and, and you know, managed to, to win convincingly. I, I think when we look at what she did in that final, and it was kind of a double down. It was interesting on a couple levels to watch in the sense of understanding that she wanted to be uh, redeemed, if you will, from the last week in Bristol. And then we had the rain, so that stretched it out. And then when we were getting ready to run them, we were on a, a commercial break, I believe, for the TV show. So they then had to sit there in the starting line for another like two minutes before they fired the bikes and pulled them ahead. And so Angel had ample time to, to let her, her mind run wild. She had ample time to, to kind of get in her own thought process, and she didn't do that. And I thought that was pretty. Uh, I thought that was pretty telling, and I thought it was pretty cool. And and uh, Joey Gladstone is just a win waiting to happen. He was the finalist astride, or rather across from Montreal on the racetrack. And you know, I I don't ever really pick favorites. Uh, of course, I can't. You know, outwardly and in, even inwardly, I don't. I, I I look for good racing and good competition. And I look at Joey Gladstone and think, dude, one of these days you're going to get yours. Um, but it just hasn't happened for him yet. And Angel's been the one to uh, rob him from uh, having that Wally for, for a couple of times now. The Charlotte 2 race last year and now this Norwalk event. So Top Fuel, Mike Salinas, Rob Flynn, we're going to be having that conversation here in just a few minutes. And yeah, I'm really I'm really curious to, to kind of get a little bit inside on, uh, on Rob Flynn and, and get uh, a kind of a, a snapshot picture of exactly what is making this team as successful as they are right now. And uh, they lead the points currently, which is an amazing thing. Brittany has led the points effectively the whole year until this moment. So a um, bit of a changing of the guard, if you will, at the top of the points sheet. Nitro Funny Car was a great finish in Norwalk, Ohio. Uh, we saw Bob Tasker III, who has had an incredible run of success at this track, making the final round effectively three years in a row. Uh, he won it three years ago <laughs> last year it was Cruz that uh stole it from him and then uh of course this year he came up a little bit short as well but it's it's one of those things where you know Robert Heights car is just in gear and working uh left first four times on Sunday finished first four times on Sunday so it's um it's one of those things it's another one of those big kind of left hooks or right hook blows we've talked about in this funny car battle and I think it's kind of cool that there are people chirping about the fact that they hate the way that we're talking about it uh several of the drivers are annoyed that that uh we're trying to make it we're kind of making a big deal out of this two-man fight because there's a lot of racing left to do and and i get their point i understand their perspective um and then i guess the, the only thing you can say is well win yourself into this conversation you know win yourself into the discussion and then that's all you got to do and then we'll we'll put you in the pile as well it is going to tighten up uh, by hook or by crook obviously the countdown happens and the points reset 
But if it continues the way it is, even with a points reset, you can take everybody and clump them back together again, but you're still going to have what appears to be two people capable of running away from the pack, maybe a third in, in Ron Caps and the rest in his crew. I shouldn't even say maybe a third. The guy's got multiple wins this year. So I realize that there is uh, that there is some animus out there about the way that we've talked about our, our funny car battle, but that's cool. I, I, I am, I'm all in favor of that. I'm all in favor of, of people going, come on, dude, what are you talking about? Why, why is my name not up there yet? So uh, all that is great. And all that being said, we're looking forward to the NHRA Mile High Nationals, the Dodge Power Brokers Mile High Nationals in Denver in a couple of weeks. Um, Always one of the premier places for us to compete at year after year. It is a difficult place to get the tune-up right. And, uh, you know, I think with that, let's transition from me yapping into bringing on another guy that can yap, and that's going to be Rob Flynn. He's the crew chief for the Scrappers Racing Top Field Dragster, carrying the Valley Services as well as Pep Boys sponsorship in 2022. He is Mr. Rob Flynn. Rob, how you doing, man? Uh, doing great, Brian. How are you? Good. I'm telling you, I don't think I'm as good as you, but I think I'm doing okay, man. It is. Um, it has been something else to watch this team this year, and and you have to feel like you're in a pretty good place right now. Yeah. No. It's it's been great. I mean, uh, it only for a season like this so far. I mean, uh, you know, a real good season. Um, you know, Mike's doing a great job driving the car. Um, what did you ask for? We uh, you know, four wins and. 10 races that's uh the storybook so far that's sure. it, it really is and i guess you know one of the things i wanted to talk to you about and, and you've been in this game a long time and and you've seen you've seen all sides of it what is the difference between being a crew chief during a season like this and maybe being a crew chief during a season where the wins aren't coming the way you want them to or the round wins aren't coming i mean do you manage the team differently or do you just try to keep the train on the tracks no i think i think it's the same i mean you you just you put more pressure on yourself when you're not doing well. For sure. Sure. Um, you know, just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's that, it's that chemistry and man, you, we got it right now and you just, you never know when it goes away and it's uh, so important in, in all forms of sports really and life. And, uh, right now, um, chemistry and our whole program is uh, fantastic. What would be the best way to describe the crew of this car? Because these guys, I mean, obviously they're an elite group in terms of how they work together and, and what they do. Um, we don't see this car having, you know, mechanical mistakes being made. It's assembled the right way. But how would you best describe the group that you're working with? Well, majority of these guys are, uh, you know, from uh, Britney's uh, 17th championship team. So, uh, you know, they, they've all worked together for long time and and like you said there's uh, rarely any mistakes and they, they do an absolutely fantastic job they have a lot of fun i mean we had a you know a pretty big party after the race uh, you know, with a um you know with robert heights group and that too and uh, you know they have, a, they have a lot of fun and uh you know it's uh, for me this year has certainly been a breath of fresh air after uh, you know the struggles last season Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I guess how quickly did, did you kind of feel, you know, because you mentioned chemistry and, and it's such an important element. And as the guy that comes in as kind of the, effectively the new head coach, right? How quickly did, did you kind of feel at home there with that group? Because th- those guys have been together among themselves a lot longer than you have been part of them. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, part of what helped too was um, when Adam Cade came along, he'd, he'd worked with me before. Okay. 
So um, I hadn't worked with his brother Aaron before, but uh, you know, Adam and I that 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 was one good positive thing. And then uh, you know, on the on the field side, Tex was there, and he'd worked with me before. Um, so there was some familiarity with a few people there. And then um, you know, when we when we went testing, the car really ran fantastic right out the gate yeah. and you know that brought everyone together and then we go to Pomona and run good and then of course come back to Phoenix and win the race I mean that right off the bat that starts the year early yeah. with people working together and stuff like that so you, you start to create a pretty good bond at that point yeah, and, and, you know, we talk about uh, the interesting thing about the early kind of races of, of any season. We talk a lot about kind of both sides of that coin where, you know, the people that come out and win early versus the people that are struggling and, and kind of, you know, trying to keep their, their positivity up because they, they're trying to get something going to themselves. But for you, you get that win at the second race, and then it, it really hasn't stopped. I mean, we look at what the, the car has done so far this year, and, and there's been a lot of very strong races, even races you didn't win. You're still going rounds at. And so it's just been, it's been neat to see that not only happen early, but also to sustain itself. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's been, you know, it's been really cool because, you know, every new track is a new challenge. You know, you go from Phoenix to Gainesville where, you know, anyone that was there knows how cold it was. Oh God. And, yeah. I mean, the air was what we, I guess, we would call mineshaft conditions. And, you know, we ran really well in that, too. Um, you know, unfortunately, in the, you know, the center, but all those little mistakes we've learned from. Going to Vegas, another new challenge because you're at, you know, somewhat altitude and, uh, and dry air. And, you know, we had a pretty good weekend. You know, every, every new track is another chance. Um, uh, you know, Bristol was, you know, his bumps were creating for everybody, including us. And uh, so that was another, you know, that's another challenge. So, um, you know, it's just you take each one as they come. And, uh, so far, they've been, they've been working out real well. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things I think that's been – that's been fun to watch too is is obviously mike's mike's piloting the car and and you know he talked about it at the last race in norwalk he talked about putting antron in the car and, and antron coming back to him and saying dude you're in the wrong place in this thing and changing his seating position visually at least from from where i'm sitting and watching changing his seating position has made a world of difference for him as well yeah i know and you know we really appreciate anton doing that i mean he I called him up and asked him, hey, would you be interested in, you know, making some runs in the car? And he goes, sure. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> he said, I'm, I'm at the track right now, but I'll drop by the shop and sit in the car. And as soon as he sat in the car, he just picked it apart, which, you know, you got a three-time champion sitting in a car and picking it apart. It's like, okay, you know, we'll make some changes. So when he drove it, um, thing went, you know, straight and narrow and everything, and you know, he said, I'll talk to Mike at the next event, and of course they did, and uh, so prior to Bristol, we pulled a new seat, and, um, what is that? Oh, I can't remember all the days here, but, kind <laughs> <laughs> of stack up, but anyway, we, we, you know, we pulled a new seat, which, you know, had him sitting up more, and then, uh, you know, one of the things Anton said was that, you know, where do I put my left foot here? Because we didn't have what, 
you know, what we have is uh, most cars have a pedal in there, so the driver, when they let go of the clutch, they put their foot on there to yeah. brace. And we didn't have that. And then um, we thought the steering had too much play in it. And uh, so all these little things mean a lot, you know. By sitting Mike up further, you know, he's able to, you know, hold his arms tighter to the, uh, you know, the seat insert and that in the car. And, uh, man, it's been a world of difference. Um, you know, as far as sitting up, um, when he first, when we first poured the seat, he said, man, I can see a lot more. And then even going down the track, he's mentioned now that I can see a lot more than I did before. So it's almost amazing that he could drive it before and <laughs> hardly, you know, being able to track yeah, and listen, I think part of that is the old adage of you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, it's it's a guy like Antron being able to sit in there and immediately go, okay, you know, here's what here's what we need to do or here's what should be done is great because, you know, as far as Mike was concerned, before that moment, he had the same view everybody else did. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, he hadn't driven any other cars at all. I mean, other license or one of the other cars, but, uh, you know, um, you know, he just didn't know what he didn't know, and you know, certainly having someone that, you know, that had had that experience sit in that car, you know, pick it apart, and then when he when we did go run it at uh, at IRP, um, you know, unfortunately we only got to make one run because the weather okay. came in. Uh, you know, we used test one also. You know, after Richmond, you know, on race day, the reason Anton really dove it. Mike thought there might be something wrong with the car. Smoked the tire three runs in a row, which is a little bit uncharacteristic. But the reality of that was is that all along we've been very minor changes, and apparently at Rich we needed to make a major change. <laughs> so at uh, you know at IRP we just we just made a change, and the car responded to that. Um, you know, you move on to the next races and we kind of just stayed with that program and it's, you know, it's been real successful. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, like I said, it's, it's an, it's an incredibly impressive thing to watch. And, and I think all of us in the sport were looking at top fuel this year, specifically knowing who was going to be back and, and what the schedules are going to look like and how many cars we're expecting to see at some of these events. And I, you know, not, I knew that Mike's car, your operation was going to be a top 10 car. We figured Brittany was going to be there. You put, you know, you put the names on the sheet. But to be leading this class right now really does say something because the amount of talent that's in in Top Fuel week in and week out is crazy. Oh no, it's there's an incredible amount of parity with all the teams in Top Fuel right now. At any given day, and you know, step up and win the race. I mean, um, you know, look at look at Torrance. I mean, they they're going rounds, but you yeah. know, they're not. But I know they're going to be there at the end, and, and so they're going to be there at the end. And so, uh, I mean, as the year progresses, everyone's just going to get stronger and stronger, and we just got to, you know, we just got to keep on going, you know. And, uh, you know, the season's just uh, really started. We're not even halfway through yet. Yeah, it is uh, It is crazy when you consider that. When we look forward to the Mile High Nationals, um, you know, is this a is this a race that that is like the Maalox moment for the crew chief? We know that you have to change virtually everything of regarding the setup in the car, but kind of what's your personal take on Denver? And is it a place you love going, or is it a place that you're happy to be leaving on Sunday night? 
Well, <laughs> I've been on both sides of that. I mean, <laughs> one, one day in both classes, and then I lost first round in both classes, you know, with uh, one of those, you know, like you said, Sunday nights where you just can't wait to leave. But, uh, you know, just like I said on the other, you know, races, it's, it's another new challenge. Um, you know, the a lot of the teams that we're competing against, they, they have a Denver setup, and there's a Denver speak here but um you know we're gonna have to adapt to all that stuff too um you know you you, you need less fuel and you know more compressions letting charger faster um you know the uh <clears throat> clutch wear doesn't wear it's not the same because you don't make the same kind of power it's just there's a lot of variables involved with uh you know with going up there that's for sure yeah, and and you know, I think one of the things that's great too, it's it's another four qualifying session race. Um, it is uh, historically, and I'm sure it will be this year, a place that they pack the people in there. So it's got a kind of an energy all of itself. And I think we have two night sessions this year. I think we have a Friday night and a Saturday night qualifying session. So you know, it puts all those great kind of old school elements in place that uh, we don't always get. And and you know, from your perspective, when we let's say we just go throw it back to Norwalk last weekend. How much difference does it make for you to have that fourth qualifying session as far as either on the tuning side and then just on the pressure side? I mean, we knew you were going to qualify, right? But in terms of your ability to hone in on a race day setup, how much difference does the fourth session make? Well, I think it makes a huge difference because in the on Friday, I would say more than anything, um, you know, you get a, get a run at the track and, and, Last weekend, for example, I mean, I, I think the track looked better than, you know, what a lot of people were running, but you, you watched everyone, there's, you know, 20 some odd cars there, and, you know, everyone got to be a little bit cautious on Q1 to make sure that they had a, you know, a decent run to work from so yeah. they could be more aggressive on Friday night, and, you know, and then that gives you the ability, if you put that together, um, pretty much the Friday night, the field as far as, you know, the first part of it. And, uh, you know, it gives you the ability on Saturday to try some different things, to, you know, get a, get a good race day set up with, uh, you know, the warmer conditions and then the humidity started rolling in pretty good, you know, Saturday. And then really on uh, late Sunday, it was really humid. But, uh, you know, that those sessions I think are real important. Like going into Denver, I uh, mean, if you hit the right setup on Q1 and the thing goes down the track and, you know, it might drop a cylinder later, but that gives you the ability to make adjustments in the fuel system. It's just kind of just, yeah. <laughs> first time you hit the throttle there to know if you got the fuel curve right at all. And, and, uh, you know, it gives you that chance to work on that. And then, you know, with the cooling there at Denver, the starting line and the first 300 feet is usually really, you know, pretty good even even if it's uh, warm out so uh um you know friday is real important it's almost like uh you know two night sessions really but the yeah. first one get a baseline and then and then like you said on on saturday you're going to have basically maybe q3 um to kind of a type setup with warm track um and I think that session's even kind of late. It's almost like what would be the final round time. Yeah. Time frame. 
And then once again, so you can go back into, uh, you know, another night session if you missed on the uh, Q2 session. So the one that's really nerve-wracking at Denver is round one because all of a sudden, <laughs> um, you know, at 11 a.m. in the morning or, and, uh, you know, that's, that's the one that's, uh, you know, if you want to be successful in race day, round one is the one that's real nerve-wracking. And so if you, you know, get a decent run on Q3, you at least have a baseline to go from that. Speaking of nerve-wracking, there was an incredible swing of atmosphere between the semifinal and final round on, on Sunday at Norwalk because we had that weather come through. And I guess I want to talk to you about how far into assembly were you when the rain came, and then did you leave things as they were, or did you make any sort of mechanical adjustments after the rain came through when you had time to think about it? Well, yeah, I mean, we already had the, uh, we had the engine together. And, you know, the, the fact that it was, you know, warm enough out there, it, the track drives really quick. And yeah. you didn't, you know, if you looked on the radar, you could see the weather was intermittent. <laughs> so we actually did not pull engine apart uh, after. I know some of the other teams did. And then, um, so we just kind of um, used that as a... Um, Try something we had never done before. Okay. Because <laughs> suddenly the humid, the grains were just skyrocketing, and it was so high that I was like, man, is the weather station even working? So we got <laughs> our, our spare weather out and hooked it up to, uh, you know, they one on the trailer obviously was in the elements, and then we put one under the awning, and as soon as we hooked it up, the grains just started shooting up. We're like, okay, I guess that's right. And so. And we came up with a game plan that was, you know, pretty aggressive. And uh, we said, well, we're gonna, we've always wanted to try this, and this is a perfect opportunity. The track's going to be good. You know, it's been rained on. It's going to be, you know, all prepared and all that. And, um, you know, before the final, normally all they're doing is dragging. Yep. But in this scenario, obviously, they had to spray and drag and clean it off and Thing, so we knew it would be really good and so we said the track's been pretty good here I mean we should be able to run 370s you know low 70s here because of the track conditions and you know we hadn't hit it right and one of our car kept slowing the car down so we finally said okay we're, <laughs> we're over that we're taking that <laughs> off and then we just I guess we'll, I would use a turn through caution to the wind and said we're going to go for it I mean, you get to the final round. I mean, the goal is to win the race. So you make the same amount of runs getting there. So, um, you know, we just took caution to the win, and the thing hooked up and stuck at an incredible light, and uh, that was a winning package. Yeah, it was it was awesome. I mean, that 370 was a that was a backbreaker. It was um, a, a great way to finish off what I think was a was a pretty great event, especially on Sunday. So, man, Rob, thank you for taking the time today. Congratulations on your success, and thanks for giving us uh, some insight into the team. Look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks in Denver, and uh, this whole this whole rest of the season for Top Fuel is is going to be wide open, and and you guys are certainly going to be in the thick of it. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Uh- great doing this and uh for sure i mean like i said we're not even halfway through and uh you know everyone's going to be you know on their on their a game the rest of the year all the way through to the end 
and I wholeheartedly agree with Rob's sentiments there at the end of the conversation re- regarding kind of um, where people's heads at and how they're going to approach the rest of the year. Uh, we transition on to our next guest, and I guess this is like our winner show because we have Rob Flynn, who's uh, got four wins under his belt so far this season as a top field crew chief. Now we go from the crew chief role into the driver's seat, and we go to the pro stock category to talk to a woman who has just been uh, stellar this year. The entire team has been amazing. Let's catch up now with Erica Enders. Erica, how are you? Hey, Brian. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Uh, this has been a pretty impressive thing to watch uh, so far this season. Um, and it's like one's, one's cool, two's okay. Now we're talking about five, and really you were on your way to a six one in Bristol when things didn't go uh, in your direction. But this is uh, is this as good as it gets? <laughs> I think so. I, I'm not sure I could have written it any better. You know, with all the hard work that the guys in the engine shop and the race car shop put in during the off season. Um, you know, we, we expected to start off on the right foot, but I'm not sure we totally expected to blow their doors off like we have been. You know, you're always hopeful of that, yeah. of that result, but, um, man, it's been, it's been pretty surreal and pretty unbelievable. One of, of like the real kind of crazy numbers for me around your career is that obviously the four championships, but you've only ever finished second once. And you've obviously finished in the top 10 like a multitude of times, but the only time you've ever actually finished second was last year and this has to be at least a little bit tied to that right yeah (laughs) yeah I think so I mean I've talked about it in a couple of interviews about the fashion in which we lost the championship last year Greg Anderson had a dominant car all year like he kicked everybody in the butt all season long he was outrunning us by a couple of hundreds and, you know, we come back to the to the pit after each run and scratch our heads and like, why are we this slow and what do we need to do to catch up? And um, so long story short, the guys just put their heads down and went to work. They didn't complain. They didn't uh, accuse. They just said, hey, we, we got to find more power and this is how we're going to do it. So, um, you know, the engine shop and, and Carl Foltz, uh, who does our heads and manifolds uh, work, he he was all on board and um, they just they just got busy and uh the results are are the proof in the pudding that the hard work definitely pays off and as you know the the pendulum always swings in pro stock and we'll just en- enjoy the ride while while it lasts and you know just because we're we're ahead a little bit in the performance department doesn't mean that they're not back there working sure. on things we got we got new stuff that came in yesterday that they'll be dyno testing this week and next week before the swing and just always trying to move forward yeah, because everybody else is trying to do the same thing, uh, to your point. Correct. So, yeah, so standing still is uh, a sure failing strategy. You had four wins the last two seasons. You had four wins in 20. You had four wins in 21. You're already sitting on five of them right now. And these wins, you know, really, when I look at this season, potentially for you, your your, your most winning season ever was 2015. You had nine. And clearly you're pacing ahead of that right now. And you almost have to go back to like the 2002 or three or four kind of seasons of, of Greg to look at potentially what you could accomplish this year. And that's, that's pretty wild. I mean, you're talking about something statistically that hasn't really happened in like 20 years. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And and like you mentioned, the 2015 season was our best. We had nine, nine wins and 11 final round appearances and, you know, just had a really dominant car and, um, 
I drove my tail off. Like that was my best <laughs> driving season ever. Um, I think my average reaction time in the countdown was like a 12 or 13. So, you know, uh, things have definitely changed with the way we run these cars now with EFI and having to leave at lower RPMs definitely impacts your reaction time. But um, yeah, I mean, we definitely are on track to have a better season than 2015. Having said that, I've been doing this long enough to know that things change very quickly, even yeah. if you're not planning on them. Yeah. So I'm just, uh, I'm going to stay positive as long, as long as I can. And, you know, my mindset this past Sunday in Norwalk with, with having such a great race car underneath me was don't mess up. <laughs> like yeah. if I can make no mistakes, I will park this million performance Chevy Camaro in the winter circle on Sunday. It's up to me. So I had to get my mind right. And I, you know, you just got to stay really hungry and, and not lay up, not, slip up not be nice because you're racing your teammate just know that they're going for your throat and you have to go for theirs as well i mean how good is it and i mean this in a competitive sense to have even if it wasn't stanfield even if it was somebody else but like how good is it to have somebody that is there to almost provide a little mental push and, and obviously you don't really need it uh per se you, you you attack every round like you do it doesn't matter who you're racing but when you know that there is that presence especially of Aaron Stanfield that has to competitively be motivational uh absolutely and and you were spot on uh you know announcing during the show that he he is my guy this year like he is going to be the one that pushes me and Aaron is a is a great driver he he learned a lot from his dad Greg Stanfield was super competitive and pro stock and a multiple time world champion in the sportsman ranks as well as Aaron so I know exactly what he's capable of behind the wheel and then on top of that I know the power that he has because it's ours I know the crew chiefs that he has because they're the same as mine. So I know I know what can happen, and you just have to really rise to the occasion. And that's something that I enjoy. Like I I didn't I don't think I had that at the beginning of my career. It's something that I had to acquire as well as uh, growing some thicker skin. But um, you know to to welcome pressure, to thrive underneath it, and that's something that I love. Like I would rather race Greg Anderson, Jason. Lai, I know he's retired. Uh, Aaron Stanfield, yeah. all the juggernauts I would rather have them first round than to be qualified number one and and know that if I just don't screw up I'm winning the round like I hate that mindset I would rather just like have to be balls to the wall for lack of a better term yeah. to to just go out there and do the best that I can I, I perform better in those circumstances I think it's neat you can look back and and see those things like you mentioned about you know certain elements of your you know psyche or approach that you have now that that you didn't have when you started and and it's one of those things that maybe when you were starting, you, you thought you had them, and now you look back and go, no. <laughs> like, that wasn't it. Yeah. But those, and these, and they're hard lessons, but they're lessons that people that succeed in this sport, are the, those are the ones that you kind of keep closest to the vest. And, you know, it's without naming names, you could look out there and see the people that never learn those lessons because they reach a certain level and they never get above that. So it's a, it's a neat characteristic to have that and be able to look back and see it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thankful for it. My dad and my sister are definitely, you know, two that have really helped me with that, um, having that positive mental attitude and believing what you want to happen or to, into fruition. Um, it's, it's super, it sounds super lame, but what you visualize, what your mindset is can completely dictate your outcome. Um, either way so you choose positive or you choose negative and then on top of that having a team that you know that stands behind you and isn't trying to snake anything from you it just it makes your job just that your job like you don't have to think and worry and question you just go do what you do best 
Yeah, and and ultimately that um, delivering victories on Sunday, and, and you actually went up for a, a visit, sponsor visit with Melling on Monday. Um, so again, you know, in this kind of storybook season, it's like, oh hey, yeah, you watched yesterday, good. Here's your trophy. You know, it's amazing. That's that's kind of the, the ideal situation. It's absolutely the ideal situation. Um, it's something that we do every year after Norwalk. We load up, um, chase my. My crew guy, he takes the rig up there and, and we unload the car and all the hardware. The last two years, we've been able to take them the Wally and the ice cream scoop. And it's so neat to see how, how many employees the Melling family have and to do this appreciation day where they come out and, you know, eat and drink and hang out, get autographs. This year, they, they had this painting commissioned of our race car, uh, the final win in Houston. And it's such a cool painting. And he had, um, a bunch of posters made. And so that was what I signed for, for all the people that work for Melling. And it, it is so cool to see that they follow what we're doing. Like they all watched the Fox show on Sunday and they knew that we, you know, we dominated and did a really great job. So it's, it's always cool when, um, the people really care about what you're doing. Yeah, they're, they're they're beyond just the sticker on the side of the car. I mean, it's like a legit cheering section, emotional investment. Yeah, they're invested. Yep. That's that's really cool. Uh, we look at the Western Swing, and I know it's a part of the year that I uh, certainly look forward to, and and I, I can't imagine you're not with just the way things have been going. But um, is Denver like? Could could Denver be a bump in the road? Right? Could Denver be a be an interruption as to what we've been watching over these last eight races? Um, yes, it could. Uh, Denver has so many challenges being that the altitude is so high and our cars are naturally aspirated. So they run completely different. We have to have parts that we don't use the entire rest of the year for Denver (laughs) rear ends, transmission gear ratios. Um, and then on top of that, from a driving standpoint, it is completely different. Like you can almost get into a rhythm of, of, where your shift points come um, across the board, unless you're like, you know, in mine shaft conditions, but you go to Denver um, and your shift points come completely different. The way that you run your clutch package is completely different. Like it's almost as if you're driving a streetcar because normally in pro stock, the clutch is really hard to push in. It's got a super short throw um, and, and you have to finesse the clutch because it's so important to keep heat out of it and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so you gotta like, almost let the whole clutch out to get the car moving to pull into the water box. So just <laughs> drivability yeah. completely changes. So I know that's a lot of information, no, but like cool. everything from the time you pull in the gate, everything is freaking different when you get to Denver. So yes, it, it'll definitely pose its challenges. And on top of that, pro stock hasn't raced there in the last couple of years. Yes. So we're definitely really rusty, but I got Mark Ingersoll in my back pocket. He's got the playbook for Denver, right? He was the, the man behind the curtain of, of Alan Johnson's success on the mountain. So, um, you know, we, we, we definitely have the right people in the right places, and uh, we'll just go there and do our best. But it can, it can definitely be a challenge. And then moving on from Denver to Sonoma, in 18 years of pro stock racing, I don't think I've exited the second round successfully there. So um, that's <laughs> wow. another challenging track for me. Um, I'm not sure that that stat is spot on, but I know I have always not done well there. So every year when I set my goals at the beginning of the year, Sonoma is always on my list. I always want to do well there. So those two first races of the count of the countdown of the uh, Western Swing are definitely going to be challenging. But if we can, uh, if we can just take our 
our momentum that we've had the, this whole first part of the season and, and continue it out there. I don't see why we can't have continued success, but it will be it will be interesting. You know, listen, uh, there's no good place to lose in the second round, but, I mean, there's really no worse place to lose in the second <laughs> round either. Uh, it's, it's like anywhere you well, turn, you could you could drown your sorrows pretty easily out there. Um, but I, I'm sure you'd prefer to do that in the in the winner's circle. Um, one of the other neat things about Denver is going to be another four-qualifying session race. And, you know, when I talked to Rob Flinder in the first half of the show, he talked about how much differently uh, when he does his job, he's able to approach the race a lot different with that fourth session. As, as weird as it sounds, it makes a huge difference on, on the fuel side. I'm guessing for you that you can kind of say the same thing because your first round of qualifying uh, drive in Norwalk was not the smoothest pass you made all weekend. No, it definitely was not. I, I let the clutch out and, um, you know, that racetrack is very tricky. And, and when the weather is crazy like it was, it can be a one-lane racetrack. And we were in the right lane that first run. And, and I knew for the night session we were going to be in the good lane. And I didn't want to be first out. So when it blew the tire off the car and hook left like I just legged it and grabbed another gear and went on like when normally in normal circumstances I probably would have aborted that run but I knew that I had to get it down for the second session so yes the fourth session is is definitely important um you know it gives you another crack at the tree it gives your crew chiefs another crack at the track and uh in Denver it'll give us another practice run for for the different uh different conditions and different circumstances behind the wheel and that's like next level to me, and and it was something that Pedragon picked up on really quickly at the at Norwalk, where uh, you weren't the only one that kind of got back in the throttle on a on a Q one situation because of knowing that you wanted to be not you know at the at the lead end of a session. Um, not everybody is able to put those pieces together, and and I guess is that part of a discussion you guys had before, or is that just at this point in your career intuitive going if there's a problem, I'm going to jam this thing back in gear and get what I can get out. Yeah. Of it. <laughs> I, it's definitely just where I'm at in, yeah. in my career and the amount of seat time that I have had, you know, a lot of, a lot of the drivers are newer out there. They're younger and they don't have the experience, but at the same time, like you just have to use like drive by the seat of your pants. Your instruments aren't, aren't always going to be correct. Like I told Bruno on Sunday, like you have to just, you just have to drive the wheels off the car. And that's something that that I am so intrigued by with pro stock. That's what keeps me coming back is it's a challenge every single time. It's, it's not super hard when everything goes right, but it's not very often that everything goes right. So you just kind of have to take it as it comes to you. And, and yeah, that was my mindset. I was, as I was watching people go down during the first session in Norwalk um, and blow the back window out and not pedal. And so I'm just like listening to all this while I'm getting buckled up in my car. And, and I just am thinking in the back of my head, just, wheel this thing down there you got to get it down no matter what so that was that was my mindset there yeah and that's um it's great and and it's one of those things that you know tony pedragon like immediately picked up on it and i thought about it. i said damn okay that's and i know i've seen it before but i guess i never put the pieces together and it's just to me neat that um it's almost like an involuntary response like whammo you're right back on it um you know, anytime you race Matt Hartford, there's always an element of fun. And you know, I got to bring this up. And so it's an element of fun from, from the spectator or fan side, in my opinion, because you have obviously your fan base. He has his fan base. And at this point, I'm sure you just know that he's going to try something because that's what he does. And be that annoying or be that whatever it is, it has been his approach against you and, and you fended him off successfully in Norwalk and then not necessarily you and Matt, but Matt and your entire team had some uh, intense conversation at the top end. Yes. So Matt is 
the only racer out there that races that way. And it definitely um, adds some excitement. I know what he's going to do every time we go up there. So, you know, I took my time and, you know, took my breath, put my shield down, whatever. Did not hurry at all to put my top bulb on because I know he's going to make me sit there. But while I'm doing this, I'm looking down. It's pretty hot and humid out at Norwalk and I, my water temperature is already over a hundred degrees. So I'm thinking about my setup, my motor, my clutch, everything, um, because that's what's most important. And so I don't want to get too much heat in anything. And so I just roll in and turn the top bulb on and he proceeds to take his lovely little time over there. Like he always does. And that's fine. He picks me to do that against. And, and like I told him at the top end, keep doing it. If that's what makes you happy, it don't work, but whatever. <laughs> right. So, um, we, him and I were fine. We got out of the car, shook hands, we yeah. did the time slip, blah, blah, blah. And Mark, my crew chief, when he rolled up, he told me later, he's like, the, the longer I drove down the return road, the more pissed off I got. Like, he's like, it just, it wears me slick that he can't stage a car. So he comes, he rolls up and he, you know, says some things to Matt um, along the lines of like, why can't you just stage the freaking car? And Matt's like, it's, a, it's within the rules. I can do whatever I want. And Mark's like, yeah, but you're just a blah, 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 you know, like yeah. some, some words. And, you know, Matt barked back as, sure. as anybody would. And, um, but then Matt got on the PA. Amanda only interviewed Matt. He only, they only told Matt's side of the story. So like, yes, it's within the rules. He can do whatever he wants. Does it bother me? Absolutely not. Because there's three things that can happen up there. You stage like a normal person, you hang somebody out or you double bulb them. If none of those three things affect you, then you're the winner. And that's, that's what I told him. And I think our record against him is like 19 and five. So it speaks for itself. But the one thing that I don't appreciate is him questioning Mark's character because he's one of the greatest to ever do it and one of the greatest men on the planet on top of that so it is what it is that's the way matt hartford races we didn't win four world championships and 38 national events by by playing around so we'll stick to what we do and we'll keep having the results that that prove it yeah but how do you really feel <laughs> well i wish i could tell you <laughs> no listen um, I, I i appreciate that perspective and and it's always but there's like, no beef. Like I, I'm, no, I get I'm it. serious. And and, I don't. Yeah. I don't care. Like he can do whatever he wants, and he's right. He is within the rules, but it it does come down to it, just having a tick of respect. Yeah, and and that's why I think when we saw the initial interaction between the two of you, I saw like he kind of like you were laughing, going, "Yeah, okay, whatever." And he, you know, he did the shoulder, the sh- shoulder shrug, like, "Yeah, I did it, and I'll do it again." You know, <laughs> like it was one of those things, and I. I from a perspective of a viewer, uh, the one thing that we always like lack, we don't always lack. A lot of the times we lack is like, where is this passionate response from somebody? Where is this? What actually happens when somebody wins or loses? And we need a reminder every once in a while. And that was a good one. We need a reminder that there is a your life is vested in this, and you're and you, you're not just your adrenaline as a driver, but everybody that is working on that car, their adrenaline's pumping, and, and they're all fired up. So. I, listen, I like a little jaw jacking going on around this place because it makes it more interesting. <laughs> yeah, the, def- the adrenaline's definitely flowing, and we are passionate. This is you sacrifice everything in your life from a personal level to a professional level, and you spend millions on top of that. So it it matters, and you know the people that pick at you for having a certain reaction have never been in a situation like this. So it's easy for them to sit on their couch at home and be critical when they've never had such a vested interest in something like like we're doing so it just you know and as everything cooled off and we're pulling off like Hartford goes hey and I turned around he goes 
he goes, you can expect that every time because I'm going to keep doing it. And I said, good, it don't freaking work. And like, that was it. But like, I don't hate the guy. I don't, yeah. I don't care what he does. So anyway, yeah. it is what it is. And, and we ended up on top and that's all that matters to me. That's it, and that is uh, that is the absolute bottom line. It's uh, just need to need to get the story inside the story on on that type of stuff. So I guess I guess the last question I, I have for you is, you know, when you kind of look over the the pro stock category this season, um, outside of your own success, which I, I clearly don't think you're surprised by, is there anything you're, you're seeing out there that whether it's car counts, whether it's drivers performing, whether it's I mean, what is kind of an overlying thing when you look at the class this year that that strikes you? Well, first of all, I'm super proud of the car count because that's something that uh, Richard Freeman and everyone here at Elite Motorsports and Greg Anderson and Jason Line and the guys at KB worked really hard to get. Like, we, we lowered the prices of, of renting our engines. We brought extra cars out on the road when there weren't going to be 16 yeah. and flew drivers in to drive them just so we had full fields. And now it's like, it's paying off right we have 20 22 23 cars every weekend and it's just it's just really awesome so i am proud of that for our class i also think it's really awesome that there are so many young guns out there like when i first started racing pro stock it was me and a bunch of middle-aged dudes and i can only imagine what they thought about me as a 19 year old girl like coming out there to try to do this (laughs) like oh she's gonna be a flash in the pan oh it's just because her dad has money blah 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 but like now you see like it's me and Greg Anderson and a bunch of young kids. Yeah. So I think I think the landscape of pro stock has completely changed, and it makes me happy because people that sportsman race can see that it's not unobtainable. Yes. Like you can you can come race pro stock. The water's fine. It's as I don't use the word inexpensive, but it's as affordable as it's been in the twenty years that I've been racing. So I'm I'm really proud of that. I think it's cool. I think that the the new drivers are are coming out there and they're they're swinging for the fences and you know they're going to learn how to put together stuff on Sunday because it's not you know it's not just like qualifying where you can go out there and crack the tree and try to be double O and and throw a run at the wall and hope it sticks like you got to you got to race differently on Sunday and that's something else that I had to learn how to do so it's going to be really cool to just see how everything um, evolves. Yeah, it is, and that's a neat, uh, neat way to look at it. And and you know the the fact that there's a bump spot every single week, and and during qualifying there is a, a meaningful nature to qualifying because you got to get in. And we've had some notable DNQs and some people landing in weird spots. That it keeps the class very, very interesting. Well, Erica, thank you so much for your time, and uh, enjoy a week or two off before we uh, set our course west and go to the mountain in Denver. Sounds awesome. Thank you for having me on, Brian. Always great to have Eric Anders on the show and uh, get some of the inside scoop, get some perspective, and certainly uh, talk drag racing. It's always a great conversation. So that brings us to the end of this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. And normally, this is the spot where I say we'll be back next week with another show, but we're not going to be back next week with another show. Taking the week off. And so there will be no show next week. We'll have a pre-Denver show the following week. I hope uh, everybody enjoys uh, what is a little bit of a summer break here for NHRA drag racing. And um, it really kind of kicks into high gear after this. Western Swing, Denver, Sonoma, Seattle. Um, Then I'll be going out to the Nightfire Nationals in Boise, Idaho for the first weekend in August. Then we go straight to Topeka, Brainerd, 
and then the U.S. Nationals, and then things really get serious through the countdown. It has taken a while, in my opinion, to get us this deep in the season, but it is going to really start clicking along very quickly here in the next couple of weeks. Thanks for listening, and make sure you're tuning in, not just on FS1 and Fox, but also check out the NHRA 24-7 channels that are available now on the Roku Channel 249 that are available on services like Plex, uh, Tubi, uh, and a bunch of others are coming. So if you have any of those free streaming services on your television, uh, which I think everybody does, uh, you can tune into our NHRA channels and you can watch um, you can watch kind of rerun, um, re-airing episodes of our current race season, meaning, uh, you know, the race that we just ran in Norwalk. You can find that on there. Uh, you can find classic and historical races there. We continue to expand the NHRA's digital archive, and there's a whole lot more. So check out those 24-7 NHRA channels. They have become insanely popular, and we are working very hard to continue shoveling fresh content on to them, and as well as paying attention to NHRA's social media channels, uh, TikTok if you have it. NHRA's on TikTok as well, and uh, it's great. A lot of uh, a lot of young talent out there cranking out content for NHRA, and it's super, super fun to follow all of it. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for listening, and we will see you right back here in two weeks.